As a person who's battled anxiety and depression, I have looked for comfort, solace, and other forms of coping through many different forms. I've used meditation, I've written in journals, I've used therapy, I've talked to loved ones, and occasionally I've used prayer. Now, when it comes to prayer and religion, I am not an expert. I do not know if there is an afterlife, if there is in heaven, if there's anything for us after this world. But I don't know if there isn't either. I want to put a disclaimer out there for this week's episode. Today is the second installment of a conversation I have with one of my great friends, Andy Heck, a former teammate and roommate at Clemson. Andy and I have varying thoughts on the role religion plays in our life. If you believe in religion or believe in any form of a higher being, I think that's awesome. I believe the same thing. I believe in a higher being, but there's many questions that I have, but that's neither here nor there. Today's episode is specifically about how growing up with religion, specifically Christianity and Catholicism, led to anxiety for me. Trying to be the best Christian boy I could be led to me feeling really bad about myself and just thinking the worst was going to happen when I didn't do right in the perceived eyes of a higher being. And also to let you know, this episode is a little longer than my normal episodes. In the past, they've been between 30 and 45 minutes, but Andy and I go, I think about an hour and 20 minutes because we're just so into this conversation and it's just such a good conversation to have. I think it's great when you can really sit down with your friends and pick their brain about things that really mean a lot to them. So again, thank you for joining us for this. I think you'll really enjoy it and take care of yourselves and enjoy this episode. again for joining me. My name is Mark Paisant. I am the host of Relatively Normal, and this is part two. Andy and I were not looking to do more than one, but um, it just happened You like weren't that. looking to do more than one. <laughs> yeah, Andy is, <laughs> Andy's ready to do this. So um, again, my guest today, my first and apparently now my second guest, um, is Mr. Andy Heck. He is um, Andy, what are you doing now? You work for Chick-fil-A now, right? I do. I do. I work for Chick-fil-A. I work in... Um, what they call the restaurant training department. Um, so what I do is I work in a part of the business that helps uh, teach all of our team members across the chain how to how to do their jobs. So I, I read an article, which I thought was, I don't know the purpose of this article, and they were ranking the fastest and slowest drive-through for fast food. And of course, 
Chick-fil-A was the slowest. And I don't think that caught anybody by surprise. Like one, have you seen the lines at Chick-fil-A? And two, it's like you guys have the nicest people at the drive through <laughs> window. Like I haven't been called sir so many times in my life than the last time I got a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. You know what I would say? It's kind of funny. I would I would be curious to see the article because um, it seems slow because the line is really long. You would not believe how much energy and focus is placed on the drive-through in particular. And to, I'll give you a little a little preview as to why I think the the article may not be entirely mm-hmm. accurate. Um, in an average Chick Fil A, we're talking an average, mm-hmm. so middle of the road. Um, our drive-through volume is usually larger than the entire volume of all of our competitors. I can believe that. So I can believe I, we're, that. we're doing so, like, I think, I think it seems slow, but I, actually what I think is happening is the market is placing such a huge demand on our system mm-hmm. that we're, and we're moving people through. Right. Um, it's just always a long line. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But here, here's the thing. The number one, and sorry to ramble to start this, this, <laughs> this podcast episode, but the number one one was Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm like, people are getting coffee and donuts. Like, of course that's going to be quick. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. But Dunk, Dunkin' and Chick-fil-A. We'll do just, a third episode on, uh, on there the drive So Dunkin' Donuts, Chick-fil-A, I am more than open to having a sponsor. Just going to throw that out. I love <laughs> Love Dunkin' and my kids love Dunkin' Donuts. Oh my god! So, um, again, you are listening to Relatively Normal, um, the podcast on mental health and awareness. Um, and I like to say always, I am not a doctor, I am not a therapist. My my um, shtick here is not to give you advice, not to tell you what to do. I'm just kind of running through my history, what I've gone through, and and maybe you get something out of it. Um, so I kind of want to throw that out there, but. Um, I kind of want to talk about this because um, Andy has had, Andy and I have both have kind of had very interesting um, um, histories when it comes to religion. Uh, you were you were brought up Catholic, right? Is that That's correct? correct? That's yeah. correct. And I was brought up Catholic. And I think we both had the same imagery of the church growing up where it's like, okay, he's on the cross. He came down from the cross. All right. He rose. All right, there's there they they took him through a town and through, and crown of th- like it's like it's so bred into us it's like and I think you said it once that you asked me in college you were like man don't you ever just find math boring and I think I think you were allowed to say that I think we're really allowed to say that yes math mass is boring and you made a decision in college to kind of I don't know if you want to call it switch religions but you switch churches yeah so can you kind of tell me why you d- or run people through why you decided to do that. Yeah, I'd say that goes all the way back to my earliest memories in church, honestly. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the Catholic Church, um, most most Catholic churches have something called CCD. It's, it's essentially the equivalent of like a Sunday school. Typically, it happens um, in the middle of the week, and it's for the youth. And so in my particular case, it uh, looked like a Wednesday evening class that we would go to usually taught by a volunteer you know this was not clergy so it was these people had not necessarily gone to seminary or had a significant theological background they were just well-meaning volunteers and they were great very very kind people but i would ask at very 
at a very young age, like seven, eight years old, very hard hitting <laughs> theological questions <laughs> that they were not equipped to answer. And they would they kind of hush me and shush Her- me and Geraldo, change the subject. Yeah, Geraldo right. of CCD. That's over. right. They, they would, they would kind of like move it along. Um, and, and, because the questions I was asking, frankly, may not be answerable in this life, but they're the kind of questions that I think are worth asking uh, uh, in a of your faith, right? And um, rather than engage a seven-year-old or mm-hmm. however old I was, ten years old or whatever, it was easier just to kind of keep it moving. And so my disenchantment, so to speak, with the church started at a young age. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Catholic Church and many traditional churches like it, there was a lot of emphasis placed on ritual. Yes. So like the Catholic Mass is very routine mm-hmm. and, and you know, you can you can trace back the, the, the ritual of the Catholic Mass for thousands of years. And as a result of that, I found what I believe to be inertia had built up in the church where... There did not seem to be an openness to engage in the kind of discussions I wanted to engage in mm-hmm. because it was viewed as a distraction from the ritual and the orderliness of how things were supposed to go. And and I resisted that. And so as a teenager, I, I went it was it was a it was a big part of our family. I went to I think really appease my parents and and just essentially obey their wishes. But when I went to college I was so glad to be able to make the decision for myself. I chose mm-hmm. not to go to the Catholic Church. In fact, I kind of chose not to go to church. Mm-hmm. And were it not for the influence of um, a few folks who, for whatever reason, took mm-hmm. an interest in me, I probably, I may not have gone back. Right. Um, but yeah, so so my decision to to go to a different church wasn't really necessarily a proactive decision on mm-hmm. my part. It was... A uh, few folks who were in my major, in particular, mm-hmm. were kind of pestering me, honestly. Yeah. And hey, you should come to our church. You should come to our church. And finally, after uh, several invitations, I fine, you know, whatever. Let's just yeah. let me just let's, so I don't have to do this again. Yeah. And I went, and I was kind of blown away because it, it had none of the ritual I was used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I kind of felt guilty. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so yeah. of course I felt right. guilty. Of course you felt guilty. Yeah. I felt guilty because I felt like, um, hey, are you allowed to have fun at church? Is that a thing that people do? I, it was. It blew my mind. I was like, and it wasn't that anything, uh, anything magical or mysterious took place. It was just the first time I had encountered a, a, uh, in a church environment like that where, um. The emphasis was placed on the scripture and on trying to learn what it might mean um, and not so much on when to stand up, when to sit down, when to say which prayer and so on and so forth. Um, and you, you brought up a good point about the scripture. You said what it might mean. I think too often in Catholic church and, and I don't know about other, I think I've been to a Baptist church a few times or whatever, but um what's written is what it is like it's just like hey you don't you don't question it and i can imagine for a young kid to be questioning it that kind of just that was probably foreshadowing for what was going to happen later in your life so this will probably 
this will probably frustrate um, a few a few listeners potentially. Um, it's not intended to by any means, but uh, I do want to be, I think, authentic to what, what I think and believe, and that is that um, I believe that God is all powerful and omnipresent, and as a result of that, not I am not capable by definition mm-hmm. of understanding Him. I also believe that the scripture is without error. That doesn't mean I'm reading it right. Um, it it means it's not. It's got no errors, but I have plenty. And and I think sometimes what happens, and this is true. I think of of my experience even outside of the Catholic Church. Certainly, what happens is when we read scripture and we take a particular issue. And we attempt to find an answer about well, what's God's perspective on this issue, and we consult Scripture to kind of figure it out. We may be right, but we might not be. And there's no definitive way to say that we are or aren't because God is outside of our understanding. And here's what I mean by that: if we say that we we know, let's say there's 50% of our theology, 75%, 90% of our theology, we know is rock solid true. Mm-hmm. But there's, we acknowledge that there's 10 to 15, maybe 20% of our theology that is kind of like, we believe it, but we, there's no way to prove it and so on. And I say, if there's, if, if there's any logical way to say, all right, this 10%, why do we believe this 10% is potentially like up for grabs? Mm-hmm. It actually puts everything up for grabs because um, because God is outside of our control. If he, if I fully understood what God thought, I wouldn't need God because he would be I would, he would be capable of being like he would be capable of being contained within me, and I don't believe that's true. That makes sense, and I kind of want that. That's why I, I kind of rambled there. But. No, you're good. You're fine, and I kind of wanted to get to a point where you're um, as a young kid, you looking at the church and asking questions was the exact opposite of me. Like as a young kid growing up in a family, and our families were very similar. It's it's Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning was church. Every religious holiday was church. Every Sunday morning was CCD. Then we got older. I think it was Tuesday nights or Monday nights was CCD. So much CCD that those people became our friends. Like we had, I don't know if you had like high school or, or middle school friends and you had CCD friends. And some of them went to the same. Yeah, but you were different because you even went to a Catholic school. I, I went to, I, yeah. You know, my mom did that. Mm-hmm. So my mom went to Catholic school from the time, I mean, the entire time, all the way up to her sophomore year in college. Wow. The first schooling that she went to that wasn't a Catholic school was like her junior and senior year when she transferred. So she went to Catholic school her whole time. And you, I know you went to Catholic school. I did not. I my my parents, in retrospect, even said like, "Hey, the only reason y'all didn't go to Catholic school is because in the 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 part of Texas that we lived in, there weren't very many. They weren't very convenient, and the public schools were really good. So there you go. we, that's how we did it. But uh, but yeah, you had this. You had the I overdrive. Did. And 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 I remember um, everybody in the public schools. I think they would start around, I want to say 7.45 or 8, and they'd be out of school by, by 3. Um, we would be out of school closer to 3.30 or 4 because everybody had to take a religion class in my, my Catholic school. And, but to get back to my point, I believed everything. I literally believed everything I did, every move I made, everything I said, everything I put in my body every person I was nice to, everything I forgot to do, everything I didn't do, like God was judging me. That's how I felt 100%. as a kid. 
Um, yep. And I remember like it got to a point where, and this is, this is not hyperbole. This is me. This is me being a hundred percent honest. If I was walking down the street and there was a trash can and I saw a piece of trash on the ground and if I walked past it, and I know as a good human being, you should pick up that trash and throw it away or recycle it, whatever. But if I walked past it, I immediately felt a thousand percent guilty and I was going to hell if I didn't pick it up. I was really concerned about hell as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> super concerned about hell. And so I look back on certain things like that and think, holy crap, like, no pun intended, sorry. Um, but holy crap, like, I, that was kind of the genesis of another pun i apologize but that was kind of me starting this anxious person okay uh but i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah do you want to hear one of the questions i asked that ccd has like an eight please i want to hear this um in the the first the first four words of the bible are in the beginning god in the beginning god as if to imply there was nothing before that right so in the beginning, God, the only thing that existed in the beginning was God, if we take that to be true. Okay, so that means God created the devil. What are we supposed to do with that? Yeah, we supposed- <laughs> All right, so God created, God created Lucifer. Lucifer sought to compete with God, and, and, and God cast him out of paradise into eternal damnation forever and ever. Um, okay, so does God still love Lucifer? Because yeah. it also says in John, God is love, meaning if we were to take those three words and just kind of draw a bracket around yeah. them, he is not not love. He is only love. Right. He is all love all the time, everywhere. and all. So does that mean he loves the devil? I don't know. Yeah. These are questions and I was asking as an eight-year-old. That's why, I call, <laughs> that's why you and I have the conversations we have, because um, you know, you're, you're my go-to phone call when I'm having issues with specifically Christianity and I think um I think there is a a a thought out there a, a thinking out there that people have no issue with Christianity they have issue with the people who call themselves Christians well you, I remember when we talked about doing this and you asked me to to come in and talk about religion and I the, one of the things that excited me about it is exactly that that there is there is such a significant human component to religion mm mm-hmm. That is separate. If you if you were to read the scripture, I, well, I, just to clarify for listeners, when I'm talking about reading the scripture, I'm talking about the the Christian what we call the Christian Bible, so the Old and New Testaments. Um, if you were to read the scripture, um, Jesus actually flew in the face of the religion of the day. So what was happening is there was a period of time where the Pharisees, who were the uh, religious and legal scholars of the Jewish people at the time um, viewed Jesus as a threat. And the reason he was a threat was because they were concerned about the rituals, the traditions, maintaining the rules. And the reason they were concerned about that, um, whether they ever admitted it or not, is because it propped them up in a position of power. Right. Um, And Jesus was not interested in that economy. He had a totally, totally different economy. He said, and this is so interesting, it, up, up until, up until um, the first century when Jesus showed up, like the notion of, we take certain things that he said and we've kind of separated him from them and we, we use them across the world in many cases mm-hmm. as truth. Like 
uh, love your neighbor. Right. Um, that was a new idea um, because you you're you're it was such a volatile society. Um, money was hard to come by. Food was hard to come by. Uh, it was just such a volatile life that you needed to protect your family. The notion of extending that care and love outside of your family was insane. Right. So the the idea of loving your neighbor and then following that up with defining who is your neighbor, does that definition go beyond the person next to you, behind you, in front of you? Does it actually extend to everyone? Like those ideas were earth shattering and that was a threat to the religious authority. So I'm, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself religious. Um, I actually think that in in human history, if you look at, uh, in particularly in Christianity, if you look at times when Christianity ascends to a place of power as a result of their ritual tradition, that's when they fall. You look at the look at the um, the the Middle Ages during the the. Um, the, con, the, the Inquisition and other times where it's like the, people used to have to pay Catholic priests to absolve them of their sins. Otherwise, Jesus. they felt like they were going to hell, right? So, and, and the priests were the priests were more powerful than the kings and so on and so forth. So, it was pretty backwards. And religion has 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 messed up many people many a time. So I can so I think you are the type of person that um, that. People when they when they think of um, someone who is um, genuinely authentic about their religious beliefs about their morality, I think people picture you, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about this because too you know too too many times nowadays, and and I don't want to get political with this, but you have our, our vice president Mike Pence who basically said um, that. It was God's will that he be vice president and he's taking direction straight from God. And you get people that are like, oh, my God, what what is going on here? Like, even if he does believe that, it's kind of like, OK, well, separation of church and state. And again, I don't want to get political about it. But when someone speaks so, you know, pragmatically about things, so openly about things like you do about your religion that's where i kind of you i think you can see how religion can give a generation of kids anxiety about oh their daily life so so religion particularly christianity i think has been co-opted in so many parts of our society as a hammer to to like smash over people's heads mm-hmm. and 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 as that's the part of it that i really resist so um you and I have talked about this before. I think my personal belief is that, you know, I, I used to talk to my parents and my mom was in D.C. She grew up in D.C. So she was a um, high schooler in D.C. during the civil rights era. So her she graduated from high school in 1969. So her four years of high school were 65 to 69. It's pretty major events taking place right. during that period of time in D.C., and I remember asking her, like, as a kid, as a little kid. And so I was born in 78. So from 69 to 78 is not that long, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's nine years. Yeah. Um, but it, during my childhood, I, the notion of, of racism seemed so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I would ask my mom occasionally, like, 
how how did how was this even possible? How could this even happen? Why did people think that this was fair? And why did people think that religion could be used as a way to justify their point of view? Mm. That's clearly wrong. Right. Um, I, she never really had a great answer because she didn't share their viewpoint. But uh, it was a it's sort of a mystery to us all, right? I think about now, like, hey, what are the things? I started asking myself then. What are the things when we look back that we're going to go like, oh, my God, our kids are going to say like, what? How did anybody think that that was? I think we can always already put up their gay rights. That's I think right. we can already put up I gay rights. I think so, too. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> so here's what I would say. The way I view it, if anyone is doing anything, I say anyone, if any Christian is doing anything or behaving in any way that makes anyone feel unwelcome, they're doing it wrong. I don't think Jesus called us to uh, sort out the world for him. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus called us to love our neighbors. Whether or not God has a perspective on that is beyond my understanding. It's not really in my job description. Right. That's not for me to do. But what is for me to do, what I believe is clear, is to love other people. Now, Granted, I said at the very beginning, like, hey, if if some percentage of the Bible is in question, then maybe all of it's in question. And if all of it's in question, then am I supposed really supposed to love my neighbor? Um, what's interesting about that is if you look at there, there's a famous author named C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, among many other things. But he also has a <clears throat> a good bit of religious writing, or I should say, Christian writing. In his um, in his anthology as well, and one of the books he wrote was called *Mere Christianity*. And one of the things that he talks about in *Mere Christianity* are things that are universally true. And how are how is it possible that things are universally true if not for a creator? And so one of the things that he talked about was there are certain things that we all agree on morally that cross all time, all civilization. For, for history as long as we know it. You're, it's never been okay. There's never been a culture on earth where it's okay to betray your friend. That's just right. universally frowned upon. So where did that idea come from? Um, it speaks to a transcendent truth that exists somewhere out there. So we can go on rabbit trails all day long. Are we, are we talking about, in regard to that, are we talking about the 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 basis of the first sin? Like, are we talking about just people being dicks to each other? Like, what are we talking about? I think what we're talking about is that, I think what he was attempting to explain Mm -hmm. there is that there is such a thing as universal truth, as much Mm -hmm. as we try to deny it. There Ah, is such a thing as universal morality. And Mm -hmm. if there is such a thing as universal truth and universal morality, it must have come from somewhere. And if it came from somewhere, where did it come from? And his contention is that, that is not something that comes from the the accidental combination of bacteria at the Big right. Bang. That's something that was there by design. So what I'm hearing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is a part of this world, especially of America, especially of you know some European nations, that will see Christianity as the end-all, be-all. That anything else, whether it's, um, you know, Islam, whether it's Buddhist people, whether it's Judaism, whatever it is, that is not the quote-unquote truth. But what you're speaking about is that across any of these religions, there are 
exponentially more similarities and differences. Yeah, and what I would also say is that I think when we, I'm talking about we as like, you know, Americans, mm-hmm. Western culture, what have you, when we look around the world and you see just tragic um, violence that takes place all over the world in the name of whatever mm-hmm. religion, and we all look at that and we say, that doesn't seem to make sense. Right. Uh, that was true of Christianity at several points in its history. Um, it was true of many religions at several points in their history. And it's a fair criticism, no matter what the religion is and no matter what point in time we're talking, that like it doesn't really seem like a great idea. Just common sense doesn't mm-hmm. really seem like a great idea to enact violence upon innocent people. Mm-hmm. That that just doesn't seem like it holds up yeah. to, to just common sense. Um, and why? what makes that common? It's I, that's the, that's when we start getting to this appeal to um, a foundational universal morality that actually transcends religion. I in my, in from my particular perspective, I view that I view the origin of that as God, and I view that God as the God of of Abraham, who is Jesus's father. So, so that's kind of my worldview. That's mm-hmm. how I look at it, but. Um, I think the the reason why I look at it that way is because um, from the reading that I've done, from the study that I've done, um, I can't disprove it. Right. I can't. I can't. I can't definitively say nope. That's not true. In fact, more and more evidence actually seems to be pointing that it is true. Okay. That, that that's hard for some people, I think, because of the the difficulty that we self-imposed by the way we treat people right and i can i can understand that and i think a conversation you and i had a while ago um was over and it was it was uh it was over a let me look this up it was over a uh, a movie that i had watched um about and i really i really want to talk about this um was that the the movie about Nat Turner? Yep. And um, for those out there, um, this is Twelve Years a Slave. No, it's not. It's Birth of a Nation. Birth but of Twelve a Years. Nation. We could talk about Twelve Years a Slave too. But so I watched. So people out there, if if you want to learn about American history, I think this is a very, very critical juncture in American history, and it's a story story of Nat Turner. And I'm not going to get into specifics if you haven't seen it because I think um, it's a remake. Um, and it's a remake, not in the sense that they're making the same movie. It's a remake in the sense that a black person decided to take a racist film and take its name and flip it around and make it into a historical movie about Nat Turner. So, um, and just like any, any historically black movies about the south about slavery they're going to show slave owners they're going to show rape they're going to show death they're going to show killing they're going to show revolt all things like that and i think the question i had in my head was you know if we truly believe in in god and jesus and religion and in morality and spirituality would most of the people in the history of the world even be going to heaven because if you think about it for generations, no, that's a good question. Most of the white people were slave owners, and then I and I even flipped it a little bit because I'm like Nat Turner led a revolution that killed people, 
Now, I'm not going to say whether he was right or wrong in doing that. There's plenty of historians on both sides that will say how critical of it. He's mentioned in the African American Museum in D.C., and I'm thinking, you know, not, not all those white people that he killed were guilty of anything. He just killed factions of white people. Yeah. And our, our conversation was, do those people get, like, will we ever see if... if is Robert E. Lee in heaven? Is, exactly. You know, because yeah. here's the thing that here, and, and I'll let you speak on it. Here's the thing that all these slave owners love their families. They did. We, I mean, these, these white men and white, they love their family. They did everything they could to love their families. They, this was a learned trait. This is not something somebody grew up and said, or was born and said, hey, I'm going to own black people. No, their fathers told them to whip that little black boy. And who am I as a child to disrespect my father and not listen to him. I'm doing what he's telling me to do. So um, I always think to myself, it's always a conundrum for me to think if I'm listening to my father, but he's technically feeding me incorrect information, am I doing the wrong thing? Like, how does God judge me for that? So this notion of judgment, it's a, oh God, it's a, it's a very tricky one, right? So I, I'll say a couple of things about this. Number one, um, I think, I, I honestly believe that we are all going to be shocked by who we see in heaven. No matter who we yeah. are, mm-hmm. no matter what we think, no matter what we believe, I think all of us are going to, for those of us um, uh, who, who go to heaven, I believe that I'm going to go to heaven. And the reason I believe I'm going to go to heaven is because I believe that Jesus died for my sins. That's, I feel like it's a one question test. Right. And so because it's a one question test, I feel like it's possible for lots of people to get it right. And if lots of people get that question right and believe that Jesus died for their sins and they are willing to accept that sacrifice, then that means that they get to go to heaven. And if they go to heaven, man, who knows who you'll see. The other thing I would say, is I, I heard the, a, a, a pastor say this and I thought it was a very wise thing to consider. And he said... Um, if you were to look at the earth and you were to take Mount Everest, it's the tall, whatever, or whatever the tallest point on earth is, you know, a couple miles up, and then the Marianas Trench a couple of miles down. I mean, we're talking about a difference of like, you know, seven to 10, whatever it is, miles, right? That's, that's amazing from the highest point to the lowest low. But if you were to go to uh, our, one of our space satellites and take a picture of the earth, it looks like a smooth round ball. Yeah. And his point was, um, we as humans spend an awful lot of time trying to rank our sin, right? Like, oh man, that one was Mount Everest. That was awful. Um, what I did was more like a kind of a hill in my neighborhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't quite the Marianas right. Trench either. This is more the right. Appalachians. This right. wasn't the Rockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling <laughs> hills, rolling hills. Um, but to, from God's perspective, it's all just one big smooth round ball. There is a piece of scripture that says all sin is equal in the eyes of the Lord. So if all sin is equal, that means not picking up the piece of trash that you walk by and, and, and throwing it is the same thing as killing somebody. Can you even wrap your head around that? I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, it's not for me to decide. But, but um, I, I think, here's what I would say. I think... We spend an inordinate amount of time trying to intervene and do God's judgment for him on earth. And um, I just think it's a fool's errand.
so getting back real quick to um, what we're talking about in regard to how, I'm not going to say how religion gave me anxiety because that, that kind of gives it a little too much power. Um, but I mean, it is all powerful, but so I, but I will, I want to say this, I want, I want to get your, your thought on this and I've brought this up before. Um, you've kind of spoken about a very inclusive environment for religion and how you see it. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is, um, I want everybody to be happy, to be loved, love thy neighbor, things like that. At one point in my life, and and I've actually said this out loud, I don't know how I feel about it, if I still feel, that I believe that Jesus or the description of him or the, the thought of him may be the most exclusive thing in all of religion because technically you have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian. So there's a lot of people out there that may not believe he existed. They may believe in his in, in what he's preaching or what he quote-unquote preached, but they may have believed he existed but wasn't the Son of God. So I kind of wanted to have you kind of what your thoughts are and thinking if the thought of Jesus is a thought of exclusion or inclusion into the people who believe in him. So I'll say a couple of things about it. Um, first of all, when, when Jesus was... Uh, when Jesus was in the midst of his ministry, the only scripture that the that when he references scripture, the only scripture that existed up to that point was what we know of as the Old Testament. Um, when Jesus died, um, nobody expected him to be resurrected. Um, that it was over. Um, he was a he was a prophet. He was a good guy. He was maybe a wise man or something, maybe even a troublemaker, but uh, everybody thought it was over with. The reason I believe in Jesus is not, is for no other reason than he, I believe that he predicted his own death. Uh, he predicted his own resurrection and he pulled it off. <laughs> that's why, that's why I believe in, in him. There you go. I love it. So, uh, as to whether or not it's like it, it, it creates a a kind of an us versus them or an exclusion or some kind of, uh, um, I think the Jesus I encounter when I read the New Testament. Now the New Testament, the New Testament is written by a number of people, many of whom were eyewitnesses uh, of Jesus, and it was written within four hundred years of Jesus's life. Uh, some of which was written within 100 years of Jesus' life, which means that eyewitnesses were alive when the scriptures were written, which means that if something was wrong, there was an opportunity for somebody to raise their hand and say, like, eh, it didn't happen like that. Right. Um, the, the other thing to remember about the New Testament is that at the time that the New Testament was written, being a Jesus follower was punishable by death. So there was not a great motivation to like adhere to these th to this thinking to protect this scripture because you would be killed if you if if, if it was found on you. So so um, and the reason you would be killed is not because anybody was disputing what it said. The reason you would get killed is because it it posed a threat to the power structure, which was the Roman Empire. Right. So. Um, 
and I could go on and on, but there's a lot of reasons why I believe that it's true. And because I believe that it's true and you, and you, and you kind of try to try to envision what Jesus as a person must've been like, um, and you read through some of the stories in the new Testament, he was not an exclusive guy. Um, I, I agree with that a hundred and I agree with that a thousand percent. It, yeah, go, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, it, I don't think he was an, an exclusive guy at all. I just, sometimes I believe that as time has gone on, like the question, like I think everybody who's been to, a, and you brought this up, everybody has been to a school, a college in the South has heard the question, have you accepted our Lord and Savior, or Jesus, Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Like everyone has heard that. And it's like, if I say no, does that mean I'm not a Christian? If I say yes, do I have to be? It's it, you, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to put it in a way that it, I think you answered it a little bit when it's like, hey, um, Jesus as a man was just he was out there trying to to cure the sick, um, feed the hungry, uh, help the homeless, you know, be there for his brothers and sisters. And I think at some point down the line, something happened where someone said, and I don't know who it was, and I'm sure you know more historical data than I do, but said, hey, I can twist the words of this guy, and I can have it sound like he's he preached what I want to preach. Mm. So, um, but you... I think it's and, more subtle than that. I okay. think it's more subtle than that. Um, I think that... Um, well, I th first of all, let me say, I think that what Jesus did on earth was he enacted the character of God in the flesh, in human form on earth. He was God in flesh. He was fully God and fully man. And so um, everything that he did was a reflection of God's character. And if you kind of consider that, you think, okay, well, he sought out those who were who were on the let's call it fringes of society he did not judge them but instead invited them to follow him is that what we're doing now I, debatable yeah. okay so those we'll we'll mm -hmm. press pause there on that one um with regards to people twisting the scripture um I think it's more subtle than that. I don't know that anybody, uh, maybe they do, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I don't know that anybody sits down and says like, hey, here's my plan. Here's my nefarious plan. Um, I'm going to co-opt this uh, religious writing for my own gain. Um, I think it happens that way. I'm not sure they set out to do that way, but I, to do it that way. But I think what happens is that, particularly in our society that is sort of, foundationally a, a western worldview a christian you know origin story um, in the united states um i think there's there's times when people seeking power poach words from the scripture as a way to rally support from people who also believe in christ because it's hard if you if you if you read the scripture and believe in the scripture, it's hard to hear the scripture and not want to be on the side of scripture. And so if I can kind of like selectively choose bits and pieces, little tidbits, things here and there 
it's a way of rallying support to my cause. Um, I think it's done entirely too much. Um, I think there's a reason why our founding fathers believe there should be a separation of church and state. Yeah. It's a it's a manipulative technique. I wish we didn't do. It's almost like the gerrymandering words yeah. out of the Bible. Yeah. Um. And we and we'll be quick. I'll be honest. With you, we'll as a nation, we'll be quick to call it out when Middle Eastern nations do it with the Quran. Like we'll be quick to say, oh. You know, you're using words out of the Quran to do these terrible things, but we won't call ourselves out. But again, I'm not I'm not getting into political. Well, I'll say this. I just want to interject this. One of the most because we talked about it a little bit before. One of the most powerful church experiences I have ever had Mm -hmm. was in Clemson. Um, This was after. So I was. So I went to college, Mm -hmm. graduated, went straight to grad school. Worked for just a second, went back into grad school. Mm-hmm. So I was in Clemson for quite quite a long time, mm-hmm. in school much of that time, and I was involved in a church that was primarily college students, almost that entire time. And there was a pastor who came on staff as part of that church whose particular interest was building a bridge between the Christian and Muslim communities. Okay, there was not a huge Muslim community in Clemson, no. but there was a Muslim community in Clemson. Clemson is a was I don't know if it's still this way. It was a little bit of an interesting place in that regard. It's something that struck me immediately when I came as a freshman that um, the various ethnicities, let's call it nationalities, mm-hmm. It's almost as though the only place we were together was at school, and then everybody kind of like yes. w- scattered That's and correct. went, went mm-hmm. you know, to their separate communities. And so we didn't, I, I should say, didn't see or interact very often with people outside of the Christian faith, except for this guy. And he invited, this was, mind you, this was about 2002. Okay. So yeah. this was pretty new new world kind of kind of stuff 2000 september 11 2001 had happened less than a year before that uh, roughly and he invited a um, muslim man from a local mosque to come to our church um and the purpose was not this the only purpose was to be a friend Mm -hmm. publicly and conduct a a peaceful conversation in a Christian environment, I'm trying. I'm trying to picture Clemson 2002. So yeah, so like, so I'll paint the picture for you. Like, let's say that there's roughly about 150 or so, 200 people in the room, and of those 150 or 200 people, I would say, you know, uh, 90 to 100 of them are between the ages of 18 and 22, uh, and of those 90, there's probably 85 white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it was a pretty a pretty you know homogenous mm-hmm. uh, environment and um, like I was a bucket of tears by the end of this thing mm-hmm. and it was it was nothing more than just a, a kind of an interviewish style conversation and I remember telling his name is Nathan I remember mm-hmm. telling Nathan afterwards Nathan that's the most important thing I've ever seen at a church and as a result of that I have. Um, told him that a number of times over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. like, hey, man, still one of the most important things I've ever witnessed at a church because um, we are quick, we, as in, you know, us, mm-hmm. like generally, and certainly us in Christianity, we're really, really quick to point fingers at people, yeah. really quick. Um, and uh, the fact of the matter is, in those days, it is a very small subset um, who 
did the same thing that we don't like about our own religion being Mm -hmm. co-opted to manipulate people to a less than pure cause. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing by a different name. Um, it by no means should we judge an entire right. people on that, and um, I'm hopeful that we're getting there. It's slow. It's slow, but I think the reason it's slow, I actually believe we're doing better as a society than mm. we believe we're doing. I think we're all walking around thinking we're not doing that great, and the reason we think we're not doing that great is because I personally believe that. Um, we're being told we're not doing that great because as long as we're afraid mm-hmm. of not doing that great, then we keep we keep, we keep watching. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But yeah. I actually think we're doing we're probably doing a little better than that. So the the last thing I kind of wanted to um, to bring up with you, and I, I appreciate your time doing this, is that um, during that conversation we had about um, who's getting into heaven, um, at a certain point in my life, I really considered atheism. I really did. I, I, it wasn't very, a very lengthy discu- internal discussion, but I was just like, and, and when I say this, I, I want people to understand that I have nothing against atheists. I have nothing against agnostics. I have nothing against Christians. I have nothing against anybody. Um, the only people I have an issue with is people who use religion to um, push forward a propaganda or their agenda. That's the only people I have issue with. But if you're happy and you're cool with everybody and you're fine with your religion, I'm cool with that. But I think what I said to you is that I don't think I'd ever become an atheist, but I totally empathize with someone who wants to be an atheist. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll, you know, I mean, because I think that if I didn't have to worry about religion, and I don't know what an atheist goes through, I don't know what an, I know what an agnostic goes through because you know, there's still religion in their life, technically. Um, well, not in their life, but there's still religion. But an atheist truly believes, a true atheist believes that there is nothing higher than ourselves. Like, we are it. Um, like, if I didn't have that that judgment behind me, if I didn't have that responsibility of making my maker happy, you know, I might be a happier person. Um, and I, I use the term happier mm. literally in a, um, uh, a way that does not, there's no spiritual happy. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about spiritual happiness. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about, uh, commercial happiness. I'm talking about earthly happiness. I'm talking about, th- you know, relationship happiness. I'm not talking about spiritual happiness. So, you know, how does that, one of your best friends tells you, Hey, I'm going through some stuff and religion is just bugging me. I think I'm I don't think I really believe in this stuff anymore. Where that that wasn't the case for me cuz I I do believe in a higher being, but how would you how, how you know, how do you react to something like that as a, as being the person you are? Yeah, so I, when we talk about it um when we talk about it, I kind of hear what you're saying and I kind of separate from it. In other words, like when, when you say something like along the lines of like, it, 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 I just don't, it's, it, it's, it's getting me down. I just, it's too, it's too much. Like, I just don't know if I believe. Um, what I hear when you say that is not what you're saying. What I'm hearing is like, hey man, like, uh, all of that baggage. I'm hearing all of that baggage. Let's call it that that we have brought, we Christians have brought upon ourselves, and the way that we treat others, and the way that we parade ourselves in the public view, and um, 
and things like that. And so um, what I hear is, I'm not really down with that. Mm -hmm. What I'm not hearing is that I don't believe in God. What I'm hearing is, I don't believe in like that. Yeah, that makes, yeah, you're right. Um, And so I never... um, Okay, so so my my reaction was was not. I was like, okay, I I'm not, I have no doubt that that Mark believes in God. He just doesn't believe in all of that kind of nonsense, and I don't blame him. I don't yeah. really believe in that nonsense either. Um, if if I if I thought that what you meant was you don't believe in God, um, Hard to say how I would react. I, I can tell you how I hope I would react, and how I hope I would react is to say like, "Okay, I mean, let's talk. Let's talk about it. I mean, let's get into it because, um, not because I want to, not because I, I, I want to, um, win anything or or be right about anything. But it's 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 a function of my belief, and my belief is that is that God does exist. He he, and that. He does not want us to make him happy. That's sort of like not even right. That's not the deal. Um, that, but that, but I actually do believe that he wants to make us good. And when I say make us good, I don't don't hear me say that I want him that that he wants to like kind of keep us on the straight and narrow. That's not what I mean. What I mean is um, he wants to use us to fulfill in the world something beautiful. That's what I think God wants to do. And so I think we have an opportunity as people who believe in God to participate in something incredible and uh, to be a very, very small part. This is something that you'll remember from CCD. When you read scripture, there's several places in scripture where there's these really long, uh, really long genealogies where it's like, so and so was the father of so and so. It's yes. just like yes. it's, just, it's just like really. What are we talking about? Right. And it's so boring. And it's just, mm-hmm. you sort of old, 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 roll your eyes when you get to those those parts because it's just you got to muscle through it. But when you stop for a second and think about, wait a second, um, in this list of people, there are a ton of people who have no part in the Bible. You don't have any idea who they are. You never will find out who they are, Mm -hmm. but they are mentioned by name. And the reason they are mentioned by name is because God wanted to demonstrate that he had a plan the entire time to get from point A to point Z, Mm -hmm. and that these people were an important part of that. Whether they knew it or not, he knew it. And so I think... um, when you think about it like that, it's like, whoa, okay, well, wow. Uh, he saw fit to include them, if for no other reason than to demonstrate that kind of planning. Um, man, I think that's that's more important to me than like uh, religious ritual. So the the conversation you and I are having right now is in the plan. Oh, yeah. I, so... Okay, we can go down a rabbit hole well, of, like, uh, of all go. kinds of things, but like, um, like what's in the plan, what's not in the plan, and so on. Um, yeah, um, it's funny. It's so funny. I so I went to church this morning. We're we're doing this on a Sunday for those of you in Radio Land. I went to church this Sunday, and I kind of kicked myself because uh, my wife actually elbowed me and said, "Man, I wish Mark and Nada were here for this one." Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why, well, there's a couple reasons why. Number one is. Um, the guy who spoke today reminds me a lot of you. 
Um, and then number two is what he talked about was um, God's plan. Does God mm. have a plan for my yeah. life? Other than the Drake song, but we're not going to get into yeah, that. Right, but right, go, right, but right, go, right, go. Right. We're too old to, to too old. do that. Too old. Uh, but but what he said was, this was fascinating. I had never heard this before. He says, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe God has a plan for your life. But what he definitely has is a purpose for your life. I like that. And what he said was, you know, all of us, all of us, you know, why do why do bad things happen to good people? All of us will say occasionally, like, man, a, thren- a wrench was thrown into those plans. You know what a wrench is? A wrench is a tool. And sometimes a wrench is thrown into a plan, but it depends on how you look at it. That wrench is then used as a tool to conduct an operation elsewhere. It's purposeful. God has a purpose for you, independent of your plan or even his plan. He's got a purpose for you. And that purpose may not even necessarily, it's not, we tend to be a little narcissistic when it comes to our faith. Like, Mm. Like, I want to know that God is, like, zeroed in on right. me mm-hmm. and that he has a thing for me. And I'm supposed to do something amazing. And it's like, mm, maybe. Or mm-hmm. maybe I'm a very small, teeny part in something way bigger. And in the end, I will be able to look back and say, wow, I got to be a part of that thing. Not that I was the thing or the main thing, but I got to be a part of something really amazing. That's pretty cool to be able to say. Um, like there, there's a, there's a dad out there or a mom out there that, um, may have a conversation with their kid that totally changes their perspective. And instead of going down a future filled with negative or unproductive things, they somehow turn around in a 10 minute conversation and go on to help people. Like, I think it's good to think of that single point just as big as anything to, as uh, Mother Teresa did. Totally. Like, and everyone, I can see that. Everyone wants to be Mother Teresa or looked at as Mother Teresa. Mm. But sometimes you just got to be a friend. Like, sometimes you don't have yeah. to be that. You know, when the, um, when the Israelites um, wandered through the desert for 40 years, um, you know, they, they finally eventually get to the promised land. But um, one of the things that God said to them is, Remember this, tell the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation after that. Remember what I did for you. Tell the story. And and I think there's some real wisdom in that. I think when I look back on my life and I kind of, you know, reminisce, remember, try to piece things together like, well, this happened, which led to this, which led to that and the other thing and so on down the line. You know, we talked a little bit last last time about how we had some difficulty. You know, the, 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 the environment at Clemson with regards to the soccer team was challenging, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But when I look back, I go, all right, yeah, there was some maybe some bad memories or some things that I wish were a little bit different. However, having said that, were it not for the soccer program at Clemson University, you and I would not be sitting here today. So I can't. Very good point. I can't throw it all in the garbage can uh, just because there was some stuff that I wish was different. Um, and there's plenty of other examples like that with regards to the soccer team, like places we got to see, people we got to meet, things we got to do right. as a result of that association that I that that fundamentally changed my life. You know. Uh, tough to tough to complain about that um i would not be here today i would not have my wife i would not have my kids were it not for 
that series of events that transpired, it's not it's not fair to look at those things in isolation and and look backwards and say, man, if I could just carve that out and throw it in the garbage can, my life would have been better. I could sort of clean up those mistakes I made or the the bad things that happened to me, um, because it's a continuum that that stretches seamlessly from point from birth all the way through to here like you're here because you were there that's all important So we have just been uh, going on here. I appreciate all the time with Andy. So I have one last kind of story I want to tell you, and I, I kind of want to see if you understand and get your take on it. So we've talked about Christianity. We talked about Catholicism. We talked about how my faith kind of gave me anxiety. But there was there was a specific example, and it's one of those things in your life that one of those prime examples that you do not forget, and you just remember what you were wearing, where you were, how it looked outside. And I remember this CCD um, class because every once in a while, you you mentioned it was run by volunteers, but every once in a while you'd have a priest come Mm -hmm. in and talk to you. And that that month at our um, church, we had a guest priest the entire month. So he decided to come in and talk to us about God and about life and about all this stuff. And just, just to give you guys kind of a backdrop on this um it was night it was in the 19 i want to say 80s or 90s it had to be i was probably in middle school so it had to be the super early, early 90s, yeah, super yeah. early in the 90s and the gentleman the priest the father he he mentioned and i could tell this was something that he had on his mind and this was his this was his go-to thing i could tell it was it was a, it was a black priest and I forgot what his name, I really remember his name, it was my brother in the class with me, I had a few friends, it was probably about 15 or 20 people in the class, and he was mentioning a song that he listened to that he thought was completely wrong and gave the wrong idea, a wrong impression of what kids should be doing, and the song was Whitney Houston's uh, The Greatest um, Love of All, and he mentioned a specific line, um, and I'm... And I'm going to read it because I, do, I don't want to forget this. And I want, and he said, um, the greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love my, learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. So what he said is, and I took this, I took this as the word of God when he said, because I'm, I'm a young kid. Mm-hmm. There is a priest who not only doesn't look like the other priest in my 
but he's a black priest. I'm a black boy. I'm like, oh man, this guy's, he's spitting the truth. I gotta, he's bringing up Whitney Houston. Oh my God, nobody else is bringing up Whitney Houston. And he said, that is totally wrong. He said, God didn't build us like that. He's like, the greatest love of all is the love for other people. And, and he said, I can just, it basically his, his, his message was, I can see how this is really ruining some kid's life because no, it doesn't matter how much you love yourself. You have to love other people first. And as a young kid, I grew up from, and just to tell you how much that affected me for the next 20 years of my life, next 30 years of my life, I did everything for other people. I had moments in my life where my kindness was confused for weakness, where I could, I lost sleep. There's nothing I could, if a friend asked me for something, whether it was money, time, whatever, I was giving it to them, whether, if I, whether or not if I had it myself. Um, and I never, ever took care of myself. And that's what led to my, you know, food addiction. That's what led to nights of drinking. That's what led to so many negative things in my life and me forgetting about myself. And what I found out growing up, and I kind of wanted you to, to speak on this, is that the greatest love for me personally, my personal journey, is loving myself mm-hmm. because I figured out that the most important things in my life, I'm the common denominator of all those things. My family, my relationships, my marriage, my um, being a son to my dad, being a brother to, to my twin brother, being a brother to my, like being a, uh, a hard worker, bring, being a volunteer. The common denominator to all those things is me. And I figured once I really learn to love myself, you know what I started doing? I started taking care of my body. You know what I started doing? I started eating right. You know what I started doing? I started getting more sleep at night. I started to pay attention to the things in my life that were important. So basically what I'm telling you is I believe I was fed incorrect information by a priest when I was young. Or I'm not going to even say it was incorrect information. Maybe he read it wrong. Maybe he, he just... He thought he was giving incorrect. He was giving correct information, which for me personally was the absolute wrong thing he could have said. So I kind of want to finish it off with what? What is your what is your take on that? So um, I'm gonna give you some other song lyrics. <laughs> you probably saw me looking them up. Yeah. Um, so this is a band um, called Me Without You. Most people they're 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 semi popular in a mm-hmm. kind of underground way. So many people listening probably have not heard of them, but they have a song um, entitled "A Glass Can Only Spill What It Contains." I like that. We don't need to mm-hmm. read the whole song, right. mm-hmm. but you, for those interested, you can go read the lyrics of the song, and I think you'll see kind of my point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you experienced is a perfect example of what kind of drove me crazy when I was a kid. Um, A well-meaning priest, but, um, and I'm making some assumptions here because I didn't hear what he said and I wasn't there, but having said all that, um, coming from kind of a place of fear, um, feeling the need to create a binary relationship between what Whitney Houston was singing in some song that was a secular song, not really intended to be religious in any way. 
and what he believed to be scripture, uh, moral authority, etc. That that no, it's not about loving yourself; it's about loving others. I think he misinterpreted what she was saying as narcissism, as opposed to loving others. Mm-hmm. And I think what you have probably learned, what I have learned over the course of my kind of maturation is the truth in that lyric I shared. A glass can only spill what it contains. If you don't like yourself, if you are not okay with yourself, if you don't love yourself, how could you possibly have the capacity That's what I'm to saying. love anyone else? And, and mm. it's just not possible. Um and what Whitney Houston was talking about, if you listen to that song, we believe that children are our future. Teach them well and it's let them great... lead the well. It, let them lead the way. It, it's about self-esteem. It's about her community. Like this is in the late '80s, early '90s. So we're talking 20 years from the civil rights era. Yeah. Um, teach our children that they are worthy, mm-hmm. that they are yeah. worth something, that they are worthwhile, and that they have something valuable to contribute. And when they love themselves, they'll be in a much better place to love others. And let's look back and say, all right, if we were to say, if we were to cut that off and we were to say, no, under no circumstances should you be focused on that, but instead you should be focused on loving others, you have no capacity to do so. So what is it? what is that love that you're showing? Is it really love or is it or is it a a chase, a pursuit of actions that w- you hope will be interpreted as generosity or care That's, or patience or kindness yep. or whatever, but it's not really love, it's fear. Mm-hmm. It's fear. And um yeah, I think I think that's where I think clergy Christianity as a as a as an institution at large we just need to be really, really careful. Um, you know, you talk to, I, I, I don't know, we're, I know we're kind of long on time, but no, we're good. we addressed this a little bit earlier. You talk about like, imagine being a young, you know, kid, boy or girl, struggling with homosexuality or, or gender identity issues mm-hmm. or whatever. Do you know how devastating that must be if your family is pretty plugged into a Christian I couldn't. I couldn't even like, imagine that. Like I couldn't what, even imagine. How do you navigate that? What are you supposed to do? Most people that I've heard talk about this who have who have experienced that, it's something that I have not experienced, but most of the people that I've heard talk about this say things like, I, I prayed every night to me, like, that, that God would take this away from me. Like, why? These people are not they're they're not choosing this life they're not why would anyone choose such a difficult situation why would anyone say like oh i know i've got a great idea i'm going to to carve out for myself one of the most difficult paths i could possibly carve out that alienates me from my friends and my family and my peers and everyone who i know of who's in a position of authority like why would anyone willingly walk into that? I don't know. And it's got to be so hard. And I don't even know how hard. I, I, I'm, I, I have no idea how hard that must be. And, 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 and so when clergy says not to love yourself, like, wow, how is that heard? How is that perceived by someone who is in those shoes? Um, a pastor that I know and 
when I say no, I, I, he, I listen to, I don't know him personally. I listen to, and, um, and I think is pretty wise. Um, I've not heard his direct kind of personal opinion on issues like that, but I have heard stories about how he trains staff at his church and volunteers that are looking to serve in the church. And one of the exercises that he does is he lists all kinds of stuff, stuff up on a whiteboard, like alcoholism, divorce, homosexuality, whatever it is, this very long list of all kinds of stuff. And he asks people to get into groups and to spend some time discussing and to, and to identify what, what things on the board are kind of like deal breakers as it were for being a Christian and what kind of things are like, like, so like the, the most extreme kind of, let's call it, let's call it like sin, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> all the way down to the stuff that's a little less important. Um, and the person who was telling me the story said, everybody does this. We all spend half an hour or whatever talking about it. And we all have a ton of stuff that's in the, like a deal breaker category. By the time he's done with us, there's like two things in the deal breaker right. category. Everything else is in the, eh. God's God's all right. He'll be able to handle that. Um, and and mostly it's just, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? If yes, then okay. And then wow, that'll be like like we'll figure like God will figure the rest out. Right. That's not we're we're to be an encouragement to one another. We're to love one another. I mean, there there we can get into like debates as to as to who should be in positions of authority in a church environment. Who should be, but um. But that's all just debates. Um, at the end of the day, it's kind of a one-question test. It's a one-question test. And you brought up a good point about, um, and I'm sure some, you know, the contrarian, you know, world we live in now. When when you say something like, "Oh, why would anybody choose to be, you know, born this way?" Like there was no, there was no malicious intent meant to that. It was. It kind of reminded me of. Um, there's a, a great book that I read, uh, The Corrections by um, Franzen, I think, uh, what's his first name? It is um, Jonathan Franzen. And I think one of, and it's it, one of the, the, at the very end of the book, you know, this, the, the main character, the, um, is it protagonist or antagonist? That's the, the main character. The good guy is usually the protagonist. The antagonist is usually somebody who gets in the protagonist's way. I think. This may the the protagonist antagonist may have been blurred in this one, but um, he had you know his parents were very homophobic, and I think one of the lines he says is, you know, yeah, I think they're born this way because why would anybody choose to be to be brought up in this world as a gay person? And again, we can go that that could be another show, and and I'm not trying to get into anything like that. Um, but I do want to, you know, take this time to to thank Andy for being on the show, and hopefully, uh, you know, you know, definitely bring you back on in, in the future. I think we have, I think we have a lot more to talk about. To be honest well, with you, uh, before we really sign off, I want to say one more thing. Let's that. do it. Let's go. Um, I think that when I, just to clarify my statements in in the event that anyone heard that. Uh, and felt offended or whatever by it. Someone will. Yeah, that wasn't my intent. My what my intent was was what I was thinking in the back of my mind when I said it was, um, I believe that people who are struggling with you know gender 
identity challenges or or homosexuality and i say struggle that's not even really i mean I think, I think struggle. I think struggle is a good word for yeah. a lot of people because it's not. It doesn't have to be an internal struggle. It can be an external struggle because yeah. the the world there just doesn't. Yeah. But uh, my point is that I I believe I do not believe that as a choice. I believe they were designed that way, and um, I believe that we uh, you know people talk about you talked about before being afraid of God's judgment. I do think there's a judgment. Um, I think that Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins and and we will be allowed in heaven. But I do think God will ask us and and will hold us accountable for how we treated others. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're straight or gay, Mm -hmm. black or white or Muslim or otherwise. It does not matter. How did you treat others, especially, especially and most importantly, how did you treat the least of these um, on, with, with your time on earth? How did you treat the people who were marginalized by society, mm-hmm. the, 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 the minorities in society, mm-hmm. the powerless, um, the people who felt overlooked and put upon? How, how did you treat them? Uh, it's real easy to treat the people in power nicely, but yeah. how did you treat the people who society was disregarding. And so when I say things like people um, struggling with it or people wishing mm-hmm. they weren't, it, it's because I believe that they didn't choose it. I believe that God designed them that way. Um, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that God designed people um, with to be homosexuals as a means to test right. us. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's a byproduct. I think that I think that we will be asked, "How did you do it? How did you treat them?" Maybe that's the thing that our kids will look back on and say, "Hey, man, what what were you guys thinking?" And and that's the thing. I think I think we can all agree that um, even if it, it, whether it's nature or it's choice, like who who really cares? No one. Like, I no, don't, no one why? cares. Why? It doesn't matter. But people do have a choice on how they treat other people. 100%. Let's be totally honest with that and they have a choice on how they um learn from past experiences too um i think one of the things you mentioned is you know when it comes to judgment it won't just be how we treated other people it may be did we learn from our past i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm gonna throw a resource out there Mm -hmm. for people there's a guy named matthew vines matthew vines v-i-n-e-s he wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian. You can YouTube him, and he's and you can watch his uh, roughly hour-long kind of speech. But Matthew Vines is a guy who um, really took a very academic, um, theologically rich um, deep dive into the Scripture to to ask the question, is it possible, not just that God is willing to deal with homosexuals, but that, um, that God actually loves homosexuals? Um, is it possible that God permits homosexuality? And he, he does a really, a, a really excellent job. Um, so we don't need to get into all the details of what he talks about, but for anybody who's interested, it's a really, really great, um, resource to to check out he's got an organization that you look at you can look into as well 
And I will I will put a link to that on in our show notes. And also, before we go, Andy, what is the name of your church organization that you go to every weekend? I go to North Point Community Church. It is a church located in Alpharetta, Georgia, but it is a church that has uh, embraced technology. So we believe it or not, our pastor actually has a show that comes on directly after Saturday Night Live on NBC. Um, <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was intentional. So like, if you're at a bar and Saturday Night Live is on, mm-hmm. and and the, they don't change the channel, like the next thing that comes on is him. <laughs> so That's so great. Uh, so you can catch him there uh, after Saturday Night Live on NBC, or uh, if you go to if you go to um, I believe it's. Um, northpoint.org and you can you can find all that you want there but you can stream basically anything you can go back years and years and years in the archive everything they their joke is as long as there's an internet you can get this so they have uh, video recordings or you can you can check out um, all kinds of stuff and you can sift through the way they organize things is by series and often the series is is titled um after a big question. So if there's a particular topic you're interested in, you can kind of sift through and, and find what you're looking for. And I think they do, I've watched a few of these, and I think they do a good job of bringing in the secular crowd and not being overly, I mean, there's God and Jesus involved, but it, there's there's a message behind it. So it, they mm-hmm. said, that they're, um, Andy Stanley is the is the lead pastor, and he said, I've heard him say before, um, when we decided to do this in the 90s, Atlanta did not need another church. Everyone knows Atlanta did not, did not need another church. What Atlanta needed was a church where people who didn't like church would like to go. Right. And so that was his whole mindset. Um, and I think he had seen enough and experienced enough of the traditional church to know that um, maybe that wasn't the right environment mm-hmm. for him and maybe that wasn't the right environment for a lot of other people and yeah. um he kind of took a bet and the bet he took ended up being huge yeah. it's it's north point is one of the larger churches in in the united states now mm-hmm. as a result of that well that's awesome i will also post um the website for north point church in our show notes so i want to take this time to to say thank you to andy it's been great um we'll have him back on um Again, if you have any questions or, or you just have any comments, you know, please um, reach out to somebody, um, especially when it comes to faith and religion and anxiety and depression and mental health. Take care of yourselves. Um, you can always reach me on uh, Twitter at therealpaysant.com um, or you can go to our website. The website is letters to my shrink, or excuse me, I apologize, postcards to my shrink.com and leave a note or send in something for me to post for you. But thanks again for listening. I appreciate it. Take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you later. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. I want to take this time to send a special thanks to my guest, Andy Heck, and to mention a few people. 
One, Skip Whitman for providing some of the music you've heard during this podcast. And also, I can never forget the people who got me to where I am today. If you're interested in good sports and you're a fan of Clemson sports, please look into ClemsonSports.com, hosted by my good buddy, Lawton Swan. Lawton started with a little podcast in his bedroom a few years ago, and now he's one of the voices of Clemson sports. So I definitely saw what he was doing on the podcast format, and I wanted to do the same thing. And with his tutelage and him helping me, I have created this podcast and I hope you guys enjoy it. So thanks again for listening. And remember, if you or anybody you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.